Welcome, Nare. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in. They're not coming in. You're online. But thanks for joining me on this call today. Thanks, Jeff. This brings uh, me, this brings back memories of when we did this at least a year ago, right? Oh, it was about two years ago, I think. Two years ago. So yeah. so much has happened in the past two years. You've really blown up all over the place, which is amazing and well deserved. Oh no. Um, I I want to look back at that previous video and and see if I called it because I want to say I called it. <laughs> no, you know what though? That was the first ever interview style video chat video thing that I did online with anybody. Okay, well that makes me feel. Where like I answered questions and things like that. Yeah. Well, we're gonna take it and take it up a notch today and ask you some really tough questions. Uh, you know, get some exclusives here and just see what kind of dirt we can dig up. Uh, All right, I'm game. Anything and everything. Um, what I actually wanted to ask you first off was I was just watching a video of yours on Instagram where you're just kind of shredding through some scales. Mm -hmm. And you know, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff on YouTube lately. You've been doing a lot of composition work. You've been doing a lot of uh, sort of experimentation in genres that you're not as accustomed to. So, you know, it, it seems like you're still able to play pretty well apart, you know, aside from all that. So are you still making time to practice and, and how is your practice routine and regimen looking these days? Uh, it's a bit shaky. It's been off and on. And actually, uh, it's funny that you asked because that's something that I'm really focusing on in this month and that I want to focus on for this coming year because it was a major problem for me personally this year. I always felt like I was crammed in terms of uh, trying to find time to fit practicing in and somehow over the course of the year mo the bulk of what I was doing and spending my time throughout the day on was videos editing going through scripts I was working with PBS so there's a lot of there are a lot of things to do that I won't normally do for my own videos that just took a lot of time memorizing things doing research um, so how has that been? Is it difficult? It, uh, it's basically time and energy. I, I feel like I'm, I've been lacking in those two departments for mm. practicing. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Uh, well, I've had the broken hand for the last eight yeah, weeks. It, eight. And when did you take it off? Well, I, I, I have a, a splint that I wear part-time now. Okay. Um, but I just started messing around on the saxophone and the piano and a little guitar as well. And it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle, but I'm happy to be able to do something now because, yeah, not being able to practice for even um, even four weeks was uh, harder than I expected. It was did OK. You, like, the, what's that? Did you celebrate when you took it off? I don't I, I didn't have like a specific celebration, but I definitely it was a great day when the doctor said that he, that I could take off the. Uh, the splint um yeah i mean right, it was really it, it was really stiff like i can move my hand a lot better than i could before i could just be barely like close my hand so my only concern is nari and uh, i'm sure you can appreciate this as a pianist but you know on my non-broken hand i don't know if i can show this in the video uh, i'll try to demonstrate it on my own hand so if this hand is a table and then yeah. this is my non-broken hand on top I can lift my ring finger, you know, pretty high up, high up, maybe like an inch off of, uh, you know, the quote unquote table. However, on my other hand, I can barely lift it off. So my ring finger barely comes off of the uh, of the table. 
Not wow. the best demonstration on my own hand, but uh, that was the finger. I mean, I basically broke this bone. Okay. I don't know if you can see it with this terrible lighting, but uh, so yeah, I can't lift my ring finger off the table, which is an issue has been an issue mostly for piano and for typing on my keyboard. So. Um, how you, and how did you how did you figure that out? Because that's not something that you would normally test. I mean, I didn't know that I could do that until you just pointed that out. Well, it's the kind of thing that you don't know what you can do until you can't do it well. anymore. Like I realized, if you imagine like your keyboard on your uh, computer, your ring finger sits on the S key, and getting to the W, which is just above it, mm -hmm. is extremely challenging for me because I just can't, you know, oh, independently okay. raise that that finger. But okay. anyway, we don't we don't have to talk about my uh, my ailments over here. Um, I guess what but I wanted to very important. It is important. It is important. I have to talk to a hand therapist or something to see if I can get some exercises to regain some of that dexterity. But, uh, you know, your dexterity, as demonstrated in your video recently that I was just calling out, is uh, tremendous. I mean, it seems like you really still have a lot of technique, even if you say you're, you're spending a lot of time on videos nowadays. So which uh, video, which video are you talking about exactly? You, you were just I, you were talking about playing a scale uh, and, and making micro adjustments in your wrist to accommodate okay. black keys. Oh, okay. Okay. I was, I just played one scale. Yeah, but it was, it was superb. Oh, okay. It was a great sounding, it was a great sounding scale. <sighs> Thanks Jeff. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate that. Well, uh, yeah. I think I'm able to recognize when things have gone quite south of what I'm, let's say, particularly used to in, in general throughout all my years of playing piano. Um, so I'm just able to get a grasp of that and, and turn it around before it gets way too late. Uh, for example, if you think about a, a, a boat that's, you know, what do you call it? Tethered Lo to floating? the shore. Oh, <laughs> okay. You know how a, a boat is um, anchored anchor yeah, to yeah. the whatever um, place yeah okay um before the boat completely sails off and is not visible i think i'm able to bring it back and tether it back okay and and, and the, each the, time the, the boat is your technique yeah <clears throat> the boat is my technique and my relationship to uh performance and and playing in general and when it's anchored and staying put, that's kind of when we're at our prime and when we're, we're feeling at our best. Um, but it, it's, it very easily just hooks off and starts sailing away. But the trick is to, to catch it before you lose sight of it, I think. Right, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of musicians talk about maintenance and, mm -hmm. and being in maintenance mode if, if uh, you know, let's say they've done a lot of practicing at some point in their lives and they got to a level of proficiency and then it's maintenance in terms of keeping that level there, but not necessarily pushing it further. Uh, I don't believe in maintenance. You don't believe in maintenance? No. Tell me more. Uh, I don't believe in maintenance because I don't think there is such thing as just coasting. You're either making tiny improvements or major improvements, however much that is, or it's kind of fading. 
in okay. my it, that's just how I view it and that's my experience with it I've never had success just coasting and, and just maintaining uh whether it's a, a technique or um a piece of music my relationship with it it's constantly just in flux how does that relate back to the boat how does that relate? Well, the boat is never, it's not on land. It's not fixed. It's always kind of, you know, shifting. Okay. So, it's, so the technique is either, let's just, I mean, you know, it spreads further than just technique. But if we're just talking about technique for a second. Yeah. Uh, so the technique act starts to slide south and then you have to bring it up north. Uh, yeah. Or, you have to replace uh, things. You have to replace the rope. You have to replace certain leaks. Uh, you can't just leave that boat there for 200 years. I mean, not not to say that we, you know, uh, just to make an example of it and and not expect anything to deteriorate and just maintain just by leaving it there. I guess, I, I guess that's I guess what it is, though. Maintenance is patching things up. And yeah, I think when people say they're in maintenance mode, I think it means like kind of like what you were saying, like you have your technique at, you know, a certain level and you you practice enough to keep it at that level and not necessarily push it further. Like, you know, you and I have a certain level of technique. If we wanted to, if we dedicated, you know, 12 hours a day to, to shedding, we could take it further. If we completely, you know, stopped practicing, it would obviously go down. Um, so you kind of find, I guess, I guess the maintenance mode means you find that amount of time you need to dedicate to practicing to keep the status quo, essentially. Right, 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 right. Um, that, that totally makes sense to me. I, I just said I don't believe in maintenance because I don't believe in, uh, I guess the, the, the most common use of the word in my, from my perception is just, you know, once you have the technique, you just do a little bit of work and it'll stay there. To, to be fair though, I've seen plenty of friends who I, I feel like they don't put that much effort into technique or maintaining um, a certain aspect of their performance, but they're so effortless in it that uh, it just comes to them naturally. But for, for me personally, I always feel like it's either going down or coming up. Yeah, yeah usually feels down for me. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> just in general, it's just going, just constantly going down. Um, but that's a good point. You know, the, the whole idea of whether it comes naturally to you or not, you know, we, we talk about things like, you know, perfect pitch being like one of the most obvious sort of natural uh, talents that a musician might have. Um, but besides that, I, I would imagine that there are comparable uh, levels of that with, um, with technique or with rhythm or with sure. uh, um, sound, I suppose, if you're, if you're playing, an I mean, every instrument has sound. Uh, and you have to work on your tone, even on a piano, for instance, um, but especially on a saxophone, you know, all, these, all of these different components, these aspects of playing, you know, just because you don't have um, the best pitch, like somebody who has perfect pitch, you might have an amazing sort of, uh, I don't know, hand-eye coordination. I'm not sure how to, how to label this, but some ability, like you're saying, to naturally be, you know, really, really adept with uh, a technique. Right. Um, and that's frustrating <laughs> because, you know, you see some people, like you say, who, like you said, who uh, maybe they're not in the practice room all day long and yet they still 
have the ability to be effortless, or at least it appears that way. Right, right. I think so. Um, I bet some people think that about you, Nare. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that. I actually saw a video recently by uh, this person named Jade on YouTube that made a video titled something like, you'll never be as good as Nare's soul, but that's okay. <laughs> and I saw my face on the thumbnail, so I clicked on it. And um, Jade was talking about uh, something along the lines of, you know, some people have very fluid and natural abilities in music, and you don't always have to go for that if you don't want to. You know, everyone has a different relationship with music. And th there was a part of the video that felt like, um, I was being referred to as, oh, it just comes so easy to her, you know, she's talented. But it's, for me, I think it's completely the opposite. I think whatever strengths that I have acquired in music, performance, whatever, video making, it's come through many, many hours of problem solving for, for myself. Because I, I feel like a lot of things in music haven't come easily to me. Mm. Um, other than just a few things that I don't know. What do you think? Tom, what do you think? Let, let's uh, you know. Let's <clears throat> let's break it down. We've got technique. We've got. I mean, you can break it down however you want. But let's say yeah. for now, technique, rhythm and time, uh, ear. You know, relating to pitches. Where where are your biggest strengths and where are your your weaknesses? I think some of my strengths uh, include the ability to recognize the, the core elements of what makes something sound a certain way or um, what makes a passage, for example, um, pop or, or what, what, what is it about this specific thing that we're examining in music that makes it a certain way. Can you give um, me an example of what you mean by that? Um, if I were to, I mean, something that I, I show a lot on my channel is to go through different uh, composers from the classical music repertoire, and I kind of identify key points about their style, their compositional style. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of it is on the surface level because to really go in depth, you have to <laughs> you have to write multiple dissertations about the subject. But just maybe uh, a Cliff Notes version of Here's here are the key elements that stand out that uh, kind of make this sound this particular way. I think that comes naturally to me. I haven't. It's not something that I uh, work painstakingly hard at. For example, let's say that we were examining cooking. Um, I may you may present a dish to me, and I, I may say, oh. The, the key points of this dish that reminds me of the Italian cuisine are blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, okay. It's a vague example, but something along the lines of that, I think uh, just the, the immediacy of recognizing certain things like that. Um, and in some regard, writing music, uh, getting started with musical ideas, not necessarily the the whole practice of composing a piece or arranging something because 
I'm not I'm not quick. I'm not a quick writer or a quick arranger. Um, but the ideas come to me naturally. And I think that does for a lot of people that have taken an interest in comp- composing and things like that. Um, yeah, I would say those two things. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, how about the weaknesses? Where do you feel like you're, you're, you're having to claw your way uh, to get to a point where you're satisfied? First thing is memory, and that that applies to things other than music as well, because memory, a a less than ideal memory, uh, affects other parts of our lives as well. But as a classical musician, a huge part of what is required of us, and I mean, not so much for me now nowadays, but especially when I was really active as a uh, a pianist um, is to memorize repertoire and to execute them in your, the most ideal way on stage. And I always had trouble retaining that 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 memory and um, especially on stage. So that was a huge uh, struggle and still is memory. And then also just technique in general. I, I know a lot of people think maybe the opposite because I, I show a lot of technique on through the videos and I focus on it. I talk about it a lot. and But there's a reason why. It's because I don't excel in those departments. And over the years, I've really worked hard on it. Yeah. But it's, it's not something that I feel comfortable in. You know, that's mm-hmm. the, something that always gives me a little bit of anxiety when playing yeah yeah i think that uh in regards to one's weaknesses you know if you're if you're if you're interested in te- if somebody's interested in teaching i think that teaching your weaknesses is like the best because mm-hmm. if you're if you've managed to overcome those weaknesses even a little bit it, like you're saying, you're you're you have an insight into how to do that versus somebody who just does something naturally and is just like, oh, I just do it. Yeah, definitely. If yeah, if you get to a, a, a high level, you know, uh, in spite of or despite of uh, despite those weak weaknesses, then you know, sort of like the keys to unlock, you know, the the code essentially, and uh, you can teach those practical techniques. And I think that's why. I'm very interested in your in your content, especially lately when you've been doing all of these, you know, these technique breakdowns and you know these little micro adjustments that somebody who does something naturally may not even be aware of. But because you uh, you've had to overcome, you know, I know you say it's one of your weaknesses, so we'll just, you know, you've had to overcome this. It makes you very aware of exactly what needs to be done in order to get somebody from, you know, a, sort of a a more amateur level to a more uh, proficient level. So, yeah, I think, I think so. weaknesses are, are, are very helpful regarding in regards to teaching. For sure. For sure. And, you know, it doesn't stop there. Those are related to piano and classical music. But the more I'm learning about other things, including improvisation and writing more, there are so many things that I feel uh, so incompetent at you know um and the 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 list just goes on and on and on and 
it's not something that that is uh what's the word depressing or um discouraging but it's just those are those are marking points for me to just be aware of what things I want to work on this season or this month um as I'm sure you are incredibly aware of yourself yeah (laughs) practicing musician you compose and you play different instruments you write different kinds of music and you know you know what is the drill yeah um well something else that i wanted to to ask you about was regarding playing music with other people versus yourself so you know this this year you've been working on this great show with pbs um and in it you're collaborating with a lot of different people and making music with different people and then on your own you're you're making a lot of music on your own You're, you're composing music and performing it yourself layering parts uh using looping lots of different uh composition and arranging techniques so how do you feel about playing and composing and creating music with other people versus doing it all on your own do you have a preference um do you what do you think about? Uh, so far it's hard to answer because the amount of work that I've done with other people uh with writing music or jamming other contexts um besides classical music or chamber music uh, I, I haven't done much of and also the writing that I've been doing on my own this year, a lot of it has been related to videos. So basically what I'm saying is that whether it's me playing or recording or composing something on my own or with other people, this year it's always been in the context of a video. And I think it's a, it's quite a different thing because you can only go so far in depth for both because it almost has a function. And in, in, my case, it has had a function for a lot of the stuff that I've been doing recently. And that's something that I want to uh, maybe reverse a little bit for this year because I've always wanted to do videos um, that come from what I'm doing musically naturally instead of the other way around, instead of me for you know coming up with music for the video and, and that, that's what you mean that, by fun- that's what me that's what you mean by function like the yeah. music serving the video yeah so for example all the things that i did with soundfield the the pbs show um e- either on my own or with la uh, my co-host we're talking about very minimal back and forth um here's here are some stems for the track you know he'll send it to me I'll add a few things he sends it back and then we exchange maybe one or two more of that and then very briefly too and send it over um, to the rest of the crew and nothing nothing that we've done I I I really felt like we went super in-depth with we really exchanged a ton of ideas it was uh, um, quite on the surface level. And I think he will agree because um, it's, it's always just been confined um, by time. And it's not something that happened organically, for example. It's not something that had time to breathe. Even, even when 
we were jamming. Um, There's one episode where we jammed with Adam Neely that was just kind of in and out. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So purely on a an excitement level, I always think that playing with other people is more inspiring and exciting. But it's hard to tell. And I, I don't think I have a, an exact preference. But what I am familiar with so far is, of course, to work on my own where I, I just have enough time. And I think time is very important when we're doing anything, whether it's writing or improvising, just to have that buffer space and, and feel like we, yeah, we're not we're not pressured or um, limited by time. Sometimes that deadline, though, that can true, be a helpful, very true. <laughs> helpful way to finish whatever it is you're working on. Very true. But I know For what you sure. mean. Um, no, not maybe. I didn't word it right. Not time pressure in terms of get it to me or get it finished by a certain date, but time pressure in terms of you only have X amount of time to spend on this. Sure, uh, right. And, and that that and that's not enough. Uh, I'm not saying that we should be revising things over and over and over and over and spending a ton of time on something, but um, if it's a tiny minimal amount of effort let's put it that way, um, that you're putting into something, I, it, it's it, it's hard to tell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the video definitely provides constraints. Um, and I mean, ideally, so you're saying next year you want to be focusing on creating music that doesn't serve a video. And, and are, is there still going to be video attached to it in some way? Will the video serve the music? Or something something along, along those lines. Um, I'm not sure, but I think it would be it's something that I would I would want to try out. Um, where those two don't necessarily have to have uh, a relationship. Okay, so maybe even just well, you, you I think you mentioned to me once that you're uh, you're planning a record next year. Is that right? Mm hmm. And I've been slowly chipping away at it. And I think um, I think it should be out around the spring, but I'm not going to say anything because I, I've con you just, I you just did. You just said it. <laughs> now everybody's counting down to spring. Um, yes, I always I have the unfortunate habit of estimating um, incorrectly. But yeah, I. I say I say these things about next year and about video versus music because somehow throughout this year, 2019, um, I started off a certain way, but by the end of the year, I'm noticing that I've I've been doing more things that are catering towards the video medium. Um, and you and how did you start out the year? I think the other way around, where the, the videos were really more of a response to what I was doing, what I was preparing for. And a lot of it actually has to do with um, the fact that I took a, a giant hiatus from any type of performing since uh, March of this year. And and then taking on this this gig with uh, Soundfield, mm -hmm. uh, it put me in a different uh, workflow and it put me in a different 
um, place in general. And how does that make you feel being in this place as compared to at the beginning of the year? Um, different. I, I won't say I'm quite as fulfilled musically for obvious reasons. So, um, yeah, that I, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can change certain things at the, at the same time, it's, it's been very, very interesting, very, uh, exciting in a lot of ways. And I learned a ton about things I don't think I would have learned elsewhere. Right. So even though the, the music <laughs> is serving the, the, the videos, whether it's on your own or with Soundfield, uh, those prompts in a way, the video prompts are forcing you to explore some other musical territories. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like making beats. <laughs> I was just checking out your uh, your beat making um, from yeah. this past week. That's, I don't uh, think I would ever venture into something like that uh, prior to this year. That was very cool, though. You know, it's... Um, <laughs> It's a way that I think a lot of people are making music these days. Yeah. I know a lot of people are making music these days, um, especially kids who are kind of coming right. up and uh, wanting to make music. And, uh, I, you know, there are classes in high schools that teach how to make music on the computer. So, I mean, that's been around for a long time, but it's definitely a, a common thing these days. So uh, I was interested to see you're using Logic now. You're using yeah. Logic Pro on your computer. But on that video that you made where you're making the lo-fi beat, were you recording uh, audio or were you recording midio? Mid midio. I always say that. Midi. It seemed like you were doing a lot of the work on your, on your uh, piano keyboard and then maybe just recording audio files into Logic? Is that how you did it? What was your process there? For the first video, I, I split it into two parts. The So the first part, I just did everything within Logic. And then the second part is more, um, one of the tracks I, I played in the video was all just keyboard. One keyboard, no layers. I just did everything within the keyboard with the delay effect. And then um, the second part was a mix. I, I used Logic and then um, just minimal, uh, I guess you could call it sampling. I didn't really sample. That's not something that I learned how to do um, in the context of the video. But I took some sounds from my dog, <laughs> <laughs> from my dog and, and put them in. Those were not MIDI. That's awesome though. Yeah. I love and the and the, the the actual piano keyboard playing was just uh, from the keyboard. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, there are some uh, nifty little shortcuts in Logic for like taking like a sample of, of your dog and converting it, you know, putting it all over the keyboard so it's easy to play. Um, which makes it it definitely makes it easier to, you know, to sample and, and create music with those samples. Um, but you know, one of the things that I really like about, especially the videos you've done this past year is, you know, so much of it has been done away from the computer and, you know, the, all the looping stuff has been, I, I find that really inspirational because, you know, you're creating what sounds like more than one person playing, but it's not like you're, you know, in heavy production mode where you're, you know, creating different tracks on logic and, uh, 
know, choosing different instruments. It's just, it's, it's very much organic. And I know when I'm creating music on the computer, when I'm, when I'm in logic, sometimes I feel a little disconnected from the music because I'm so like ingrained with plugins and choosing the right instruments. You know, I have all these virtual instruments I can choose from and it's, uh, it's great to have those tools, but there's something about, you know, like when you, when you came back to my studio uh, this year, we were playing around with that, that little keyboard of yours. Yeah. What's that one? That's the Yamaha's reface. Yeah. The reface. And you know, it's a, it's a little keyboard. It has a couple of, uh, effects on it. But when you're limited to just one piece of equipment and you don't have, you know, the world of virtual uh, instruments at your fingertips, that makes the whole process of making music feel a little bit more organic to me. And it, it reminds me of when I used to write music at school on an upright piano with my, you know, pen on music notation paper. And that was it. And I haven't done that in a long time, which might mean I need to get a acoustic piano in my life sometime soon if I can find some room. Wait, uh, you don't have an acoustic piano? I don't. I don't. Okay. I haven't had, yeah, I haven't had the space for it. Hopefully uh, sometime in the near future. But um, I think there's a beauty to actual tangible instruments and tangible things. Um, I, you know, hardware versus software. I, I only recently learned about those two terms. Um, it, while exploring synthesizers, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I, it it just adds a different a different something to the the creative process. I think, especially when you have things to buttons to press or keys to touch, whatever it is, strings. You're actually you know you have uh, expressive control and something visual um, that is away from the screen. Yeah, I, I agree. And you also have the uh, sort of the, the beauty of, of mistakes baked into that. Yeah, Not necessarily sure. like blatant mistakes, but you know, maybe small intonation issues mm -hmm. here and there, or just, you know, maybe your string slipping on a string just a little bit. You know, those little human imperfections right. are so helpful for making something feel good yeah. i mean you can create music on the computer without even a midi keyboard you can just use your mouse and plug stuff in and have it you know quantized against right. the grid right. and, and all the notes might be perfect all the rhythms might be perfect and the sounds might be perfect everything's in tune yeah. but it, it's very well it very well could be devoid of any feeling for sure and that's something that is so important and something i've been thinking a lot about lately is you know making stuff that actually makes me feel something, makes other feel other people feel something, whether it's music or video or whatever. And um, in a way, that's been such a challenge for me because of how wrapped up I've been in this sort of digital world, mm. for, you know, the, in recent uh, years, I would say. So you know, I have to be honest. Oh, part of the video. Um, Which one? I, you're referring the, to? The, when I was uh, learning how to create a beat or trying it out, for example. Mm -hmm. um, when I discovered how to quantize, um, it was actually not in the context of the, the video. And like I, I annotated in the video that I learned how to do that through one of the episodes uh, for Soundfield. Mm. And when I first discovered how to do that, I make a joke in the video 
uh, where I just say, you know, we don't have to practice uh, rhythm, that is. But part of me was very sad when I found out uh, that that's possible, but also very excited. I, I was very, I was blown away that you could do that. Just, what? You could just click a button and everything just gets organized. And so that to me is, is it's fantastic. <laughs> the beauty of techno- technology, but also um, what you were talking about, the, the human element is gone. And also when you're preparing something or learning uh, a piece or, or a, something rhythmic or whatever it is, uh, a part of the beauty of getting to know that piece of music or even if you're improvising is to have this relationship with the pulse and um and if if that's something that you're struggling with or you're trying to get tighter there are things that you do you know in the practice room or when you're working on it that get you closer and closer to that ideal sound rhythmically and and timbre wise that uh, I think a lot of people, if you're, if you know that that option exists, say that you're you're dealing with digital instruments and everything, because the same uh, same principles apply to acoustic and digital. I think you won't be as motivated to do that because in the back of your mind, you just you know that I have that little little tool. Yep. I think that's just human nature, um, unless of course you you're deeply familiar with the reverse of that but maybe I don't I can't speak for the younger generation today um, but maybe they have a different outlook on that because to them if that's something that you were introduced to very early on in your musical journey in your musical life um, it's, it's a different thing I think yeah I think it's a blessing and a curse uh, yeah for sure and uh you know, I wonder if for people growing up with those tools, if their uh, if their rhythm is just not as as strong as somebody who hadn't grown up with the with the quantizing setting. It um, may be the opposite. They may be more inclined to have everything completely perfect. Um, but I'm sure it affects uh, everyone in a certain way, whether not not necessarily in their execution of something, but what kinds of rhythmic ideas they come up with, how they feel the pulse organically. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it's a similar conversation as autotune, which is something that right. you know, people were talking a lot about a few years ago when it was, you know, realized that everybody's using autotune in the, in the recording industry. And, uh, you know, some people use it more than others, but, you know, the the classic records before autotune was around, you know, it, uh, in a way, I mean, this is somewhat of a tangent, but in a way, autotune and quantizing those types of tools uh, make it easier for people to be listenable. Meaning, sure. if somebody if somebody can't sing and they can't sing a they can't keep a tune. If there's no auto tune, that person is never going to make it into onto like a, a major label or something like that or, or have their music go viral, you know, however you want to put it. Um, but now, since those tools are around, people that can't keep a tune or people that can't keep time 
could very well create something that sounds really good. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it certainly means that, <laughs> I mean, it's why you have, you know, really popular people in the music industry who may not be as quote unquote talented as, uh, as people who maybe have a little bit more like actual chops. You know what, what I think is interesting, um, and this is just a, a general observation that I've made about quantizing and auto-tune is that I think it, it serves a specific type of music and it's, you know, it's hard to tell, is it the chicken or the egg? Um, but a lot of more contemporary genres of music that have come about in the past decade or two decades, they sound, in my opinion, better with exact beats and yeah, I agree with that and and autotune. And when when you're talking about these things in the context of other uh, other styles of music, for example, you know, a performed acoustic uh, environment, it makes no sense. Uh, I would not in 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 uh, ever want to hear. You know, something just solo piano, acoustic, or solo acoustic guitar with any of those things. But uh, when we're when I'm listening to something in hip hop or um, I don't know, Ele electronic music, electronic music, exactly. Uh, I want everything completely. Yeah, it would feel at a. It would feel like exactly. it wasn't aligned with that genre. It's yeah. Fun. So, so I think what people are creating in terms of music with these tools, it makes sense um, to me. But I, I just wonder if less emphasis is put on these tools, would other genres, other types of music, other creative approaches to music, would those have a better chance of emerging um, with the next generations as mm. opposed to not? Um, and that, that's kind of my, uh, I don't know what I find interesting about that and both, uh, cool, but also a little concerning. Yeah. 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 Well, I think the genre, uh, what you're saying about genres is, is really on point, um, and how different genres require different tools and different skills, uh, even different levels of proficiency on an instrument which you know kind of brings us full circle here you know you've been experimenting with lots of different genres cert i don't know how do you feel about let's just take piano for for now mm -hmm. how do you feel about the level of proficiency on piano and how that uh and how much of that is necessary depending on the genre i mean take you know, a piece of classical music that, you know, maybe you, you studied when you were doing more performance um, or, or at Juilliard compared to creating something for a lo-fi beat. Do you need the same level of, maybe this is a stupid question, but do you need the same level of technique for both of those scenarios? No, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's the, I mean, technique is a, I know what you mean when you say technique. Um, they they require different skills. Right. There's a technique to playing to yeah. low playing lo-fi music. There's yeah. a technique to playing yeah. uh, piece of Bach. Right. But in terms of actual, let's let's call it um, 
facility at the keyboard. You know, uh, classical music uh, requires a lot of repertoire from classical music. Um, you know, from classical music requires you to have a certain kind of facility at the keyboard or whatever instrument you're playing in order to execute these composers' ideas. And a lot of them are filled with very complex patterns of, of notes, um, very complex uh, structures, phrasing, um, and, and very subtle subtle details in terms of how something is played, um, how you're refining the edges around, uh, you know, how you're performing it. And in order to, to play music in this way and make it sound a certain way, you really need to have so much control and so much um, ease at your instrument. And, and it, has, it has to come last. It has to be second nature. So in order for that to happen, you really have to have a mastery of whatever you're doing, um, which in a lot of other genres, that's not the priority. Maybe the priority is more on um, how do I create this type of satisfying sound just through one, you know, one moment? Um, how do I layer these parts uh, how do I make these all these sounds blend nicely together? Um, how can I create something that is incredibly engaging um, for three, four minutes? Whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's a different skill set. It's a yeah, different yeah. skill set. Yeah. But I think that's what's great about what you're doing, exploring other genres, because you're taking your skill set from the classical world and and bringing that to lo-fi or bringing that to uh, all the other types of music that you've been playing around with this year, and I I would imagine it could it could be just as satisfying to have somebody who's really talented in the lo-fi world do something with classical music. You know, right. maybe maybe that would be more challenging because I don't know. I don't want to say it's easier to make lo-fi music than it is to be a classical musician. But I kind of do. I kind of want. I kind of do want to say that. Um, I don't know if that's gonna get me a lot of flack. Uh, but you can make a. You can make a. A lo-fi beat. And I'm not. I'm not that knowledgeable about lo-fi to begin with. But you can make something that maybe kind of sounds like lo-fi. In a in a week or two. And then you know, say somebody who's making lo-fi music or a lo-fi beat producer is not going to in two weeks learn how to play a fugue. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, you don't have to be shy about that. I'm dig I, I feel like I'm digging myself into a hole. No, no, no. If, if anyone is listening, that is going to roast us for this, um, by all means. But I think what we're getting at is, uh, just the point of entry is much more uh much more difficult in classical music than it is lo-fi but anything what what whatever genre whatever field of expertise to take it to a certain level right where that it's top, extraordinary that top, like, that, that's equally difficult across all all fields so yeah. nothing you can't really compare in that manner but yeah just purely in terms of here start this um i think 
uh, classical music is it's there are a lot more steps involved. Um, right, it's that learning curve. It's that learning. Yeah, it's just like like a piano. Ahead. You can press down a key on the piano and get sound. You know, right. you give somebody a flute, it might take them a day or two to even make a set like a, uh, a pure note. You know, okay. and something that sounds like an actual note. So different styles, different different instruments, they all have that different point of entry, that different learning curve. Right. But I agree with you, you know, to get to that top 1% of performers or or produce production or, or, or composers, whatever you want to call it, that takes a lot of time, regardless of the genre, regardless of the instrument. And that's definitely humbled me, you know, when I started messing around with music that wasn't jazz and I started creating music for film and uh, and and that led me to creating music in all different kinds of genres. You know, I thought, oh, making something that sounds like a film score or like a pop record or like a, a dance track would be easy because I've spent all my life working with jazz, which is like this, you know, whatever, like a really high level type of music. But it's re it's really hard to make it actually sound like the the top uh, arrangers, the top composers in other genres and other fields. It's really, really difficult, regardless, to right, get to right. that high level of mastery of uh, any genre, of any instrument. And and just to play devil's devil's advocate on myself, um, what I just said, I can think of an example where it's it's the reverse. For example, my dad, he doesn't understand technology. Uh, he can kind of use his phone, but that's it he's never had an email even um i think it'd be easier for me to teach him a little bit of classical music than it would be to teach him how to create a beat say if i was at the level where i could just show someone here's how to do it um because there are a lot of things that we take granted as uh modern individuals in this modern age familiar with computers and software but um if you take that into account it's quite, uh, it's quite complicated. You know, you have to know your way around using uh, using the computer, understanding how to record something in, how to connect cables and all that. Yeah. And that's, a, that's he, for a huge level. Yeah. 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 You really need experience with technology, even to yeah. just open up sure. Logic. I've had students that I've worked with over Skype that want to, you know, get better at Logic. And, you know, we spend half the time just... <laughs> like turning the computer on essentially um and yeah there's there's a whole slew of challenges that are related uh to the technology component for sure i have a question for you um and it, it relates to what we talked about in terms of digital electronic um software versus acoustic hardware mm -hmm. uh, when you're dealing with sampled strings because i know you do a lot of music for film um, and you do a lot of things with um, sampled instruments and within logic. Mm -hmm. What do you think that shift has uh, done for for music in general in the film industry or related to the film industry? Do you think that's a mainly positive thing because now all of a sudden um, otherwise very big budget pieces could be somewhat manageable? within you know the confines of a studio with software um do you do you what yeah what's your experience on that well i think that it's it's got pros and cons you know the cons are probably uh definitely 
are, are dealt with by the musicians because there's less work for a lot, for recording art for uh, studio musicians uh, because you can create music on your computer with maybe you know maybe you bring in a soloist or something if you want to have like your cello track be a real instrument but the rest of the orchestra can all be virtual so it puts all of those musicians out of work um you know there are really popular tv shows uh that are just virtual instruments with maybe a couple like i said a couple of acoustic mm -hmm. instruments thrown in there uh, i think a lot of the big blockbusters are still recorded with with real instruments um it's probably more of a hybrid actually like uh some parts are def are, parts are definitely marked mocked up virtually so that directors can hear what uh, a cue is going to sound like and and be able to sort of manage the picture accordingly but eventually a, a lot of that stuff does get recorded live uh, but even the end product is going to be a hybrid i guess um you know it definitely gives people like me more of an opportunity to make that type of music because i'm not going to have the types of projects that i'm working on aren't going to have the budget to bring in a full studio orchestra so you know i can do the same kind of thing where i do a lot of it virtually maybe bring in you know a, a live musician here and there to supplement um and it's kind of amazing what you can you know the, the results you can get nowadays because of the quality of those virtual instruments right um so and when you're creating something with multiple uh, essentially a string orchestra are you recording in parts individually so layer by layer by layer or how do you do depends. that it depends you know a lot of the time it's it's got to be uh done really quickly so maybe i'll so I, I mean there have been times when i've just created one string track and basically played like the chords, chords. Okay. On, on, the, on the one string track but if i have more time then you know i can i'm not gonna have like you know eight individual violin tracks like solo violin tracks I'll have like a track for viol like first violins, a track for second violins, cello, and so on. And and that's how the virtual instrument libraries are usually built, where they have the violin ones and the mm. violin twos and, and so on. And then you can create like you know a five part string yeah, part uh, or uh, arrangement, I should say. And do you use the uh, some sort of controller for expression, or you, do you use a pedal? I use a controller and then I usually go in there like I I'll use like um on my key on my MIDI keyboard I have like my mod wheel which adjusts some of the uh, 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 expression uh, there are some other faders on my keyboard that I can use as well but a lot of the time I'll just go in after the fact and draw in the automation that I want to get that effect because if you just play even though the, the string samples are really good if you just play them outright without adjusting you know expression and those types of things yeah it sounds, it sounds yeah it sounds it sounds pretty bad um but uh even if you're really good at it what's what what i what i like what i think is comforting especially for the studio musicians out there is that even for people that are really good at the the mock-ups for oh. with the digital instruments with the virtual instruments there's still no they still it, they, it hasn't gotten as good as a live orchestra i don't know if it'll ever get as good as a live orchestra because of all that stuff we were talking about before, the little intonation issues, the imperfections, the, right. the, the, the fluctuation of the pulse, as you were saying, that's, you know, they're, they're almost subliminal, but 
it all adds up. These tiny, tiny, tiny things add up to this feeling of, oh, this is real. Um, and as good as the virtual samples have gotten, that realism is still not there. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is frustrating if you don't have access to an orchestra, but is right. uh, encouraging if you're a, you know, a studio musician out in California. Sure. Yeah, I have plenty of friends that are active as studio musicians for um, for film, and you know it's a major part of their income. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean the whole Broadway pit in industry has has taken a, a real dive because of um, because of the pre recorded tracks that you know you know right. there are going to be some instrumentalists playing along. Uh, there might even be some, I don't know, there might be some shows that just use pre-recorded tracks altogether. I, I doubt that. I, uh, maybe maybe I'm off-Broadway or something. I, I don't, I'm, I haven't seen too many Broadway shows, but the ones that I've seen in the past three years or so, increasingly I, what I see, I've never seen, like you said, uh, a production with just tracks, just recorded tracks, but I see two to four, five people um, groups, uh, music ensembles playing with the, with the production mm -hmm. much more where they're, you know, one person will have multiple controllers and then maybe there would be three, um, string or, and, or woodwind instrumentalists, but yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a hybrid. Yeah, it's it's very much a hybrid, and even uh, even in the cases where it's not a hybrid, you know, take a woodwind player. You know, in a in a Broadway pit, maybe five or ten, maybe ten years ago, there might be a saxophonist and uh, a bassoonist and a clarinetist and you know a tenor sax and a barry sax. Now it's the same it's the same person playing all those yeah, different. Yeah, right, 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 right. Which is uh, <laughs> extremely challenging, I'm sure, um, but it it's more cost-effective, I suppose. I don't know. It, uh, in a way, it, it sort of sucks the life out of the music industry because, uh, you know, when you, when people who are writing the checks realize, oh, we can get something that sounds okay if we just use virtual instruments or okay if we use pre-recorded tracks, then it's really easy to just say, you know, we, we don't need all those live musicians. We don't need all those studio musicians. Right. And, um, you know, the market is the market, I suppose. It's like most people probably can't tell the difference. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think people who, let's say non-musicians, just people who like music or go to shows or, or uh, you know, listen uh, to film scores, do you think that the average person can notice the difference between something that's a hybrid or, or uh, even fully digital, you know, compared to something that's completely live? Well... I think people can, regardless of their exposure level, they can draw lines in terms of um, what what stands out in quality, mm -hmm. and that's just based on an impression that they get. And um, people are very attuned to things like that, and and it's not necessarily the live versus not live discussion. It's just a how high of a quality is this? Uh, and and a lot of times higher quality productions 
I think naturally involve a lot more time spent into it, a lot more effort, a lot more um, just craftsmanship, attention to detail, and that will naturally, in a lot of musical contexts, involve live instruments. Not always, you know, there could be, it could be a very, um, just incredible score that is all with synthesizers or it's all with, uh, I don't know, just whatever type of instrument that's not acoustic and not live. But um, the people that are maybe funding these projects or managing that are not musicians themselves or aren't very familiar with it, I think they kind of push or they could push music off to the side and prioritize other things that they that stand out to them um, mm-hmm. more and more. And I think maybe uh, a reason for that is just that the general awareness of um, that people have of music and how much music has uh, has in the place of their lives has been decreasing a little bit. Um, whereas maybe 50 years ago there were a lot more people that actually played instruments. Um, I think it's the amateur musician phenomenon. I I don't like the word amateur, but um, what I mean by that is that just people playing, including music in their lives, maybe they're not musicians as careers, but they are musicians in practice. And the farther we get away from that as a society, the less we'll be able to immediately appreciate things um, a fluctuating quality in music. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the people that make decisions and fun things, uh, you know, it's, it's a very small pool of people. So uh, kind of depends on them. But say that someone was funding a project, film or not film, that includes music, who is a hobby photographer who's really attuned to, you know, lighting and, and the visual, um, but couldn't care less about music. Uh, maybe this person will promote more of, you know, let's, let's hire the top notch lighting person, which is very important, but, um, and then maybe push music off to the side a little bit. Um, and, and the whole thing could, be very different if that that person was also a hobby guitar player or I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. You know, if that person who is in charge has a background in music, you know, obviously they're going to they're going to care more that, you know, let's say the the, the score is recorded with live musicians. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that the general trend going even as as far back as when MP3 players came around, you have. By the way, I wanna—I don't want to take up all your time here, Nari. Do you have a, a hard stop at any point? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. What time? Okay. Right. We'll go a, f- a few more minutes. Yeah, a few more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can finish this this uh, thread. Um, so, what was I gonna say? Okay, so going back to MP3 players, where the technology uh, was, the, all the co- technology companies were, were were making these devices that you know promoted oh you can store you know thousands of songs on your device you know and then but it's going to be like a really compressed audio file that's not going to sound that great and um and people didn't 
really care. You know, that there's it was kind of great to be able to carry your music around with you. Right. And, you know, f- you know, fast forward to a couple of years ago with uh, a streaming pal- platform like Tidal. Do you know Tidal? No. So I think it's Jay-Z's company. Uh, and I think it's still around, but it's basically a streaming platform that does like uncompressed audio or something like that. It's like really, really high, high fi oh. high quality audio files. And I was really interested to see uh, how people would take to that and if it would do well. And I think it got some traction, but certainly not as popular as, you know, like a Spotify or like an Apple Music or whatever. Um, but the point being that there's been so much, so much energy spent on like the best TV that has the high, the high def TV, 4K, even with, you know, the videos that we make, you know, everybody's shooting in 4K and this and that. And um, just not the same attention spent on the audio. And I think maybe it's because we're more visually, uh, we're just visual, you know, people are visual, more visually oriented versus uh, orally. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's... uh, I think it's just a point of discussion because if you do look carefully, especially on YouTube, if you see the, um, and this has certainly happened on my channel and when I view other people's channels as well, um, the quickest forms or, or the quickest responses that include complaints about our video will be audio related rather than visual because um, if something is, of a slightly lower quality in in terms of picture of course people will notice it but i think they're just inherently bothered by it less than if something sounds really bad mm. so i've had That's a good point you know i've had instances where you know maybe something was shot very uh sloppily but the sound was fine um and people just no comments about this or that um but in reverse, if something was sloppily recorded audio-wise, but the visual um, was was great, uh, people will be very quick to let me know. That's a good point. That's a very yeah. good point. Well, I guess it. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a multifaceted issue. Yeah, yeah, it's very complicated. <laughs> as long as people, I think, moving forward, uh, just pay a little more attention and, and care about music and audio. Um, I think that could just enrich uh, art in general and, and a, lot of, a lot of things in life that yeah. involve those two things. Not to get preachy, but that's why, you know, the music programs in schools are so important because if yeah, you can get sure. somebody to play an instrument at a young age, for, sure. even if they don't, you know, play later on, they're going to, it, it makes such a difference in how, uh, they experience music and and how um, and uh, and their appreciation of it. Uh, I always like the you know I remember when I started playing when I, I started playing basketball in middle school like not not on any like travel league or even a it was just like an intramural intramural what are they I called can see, I can see you playing basketball. You're I was tall. Cool. I was tall, so I I could do a few things. Not much. But I, I could at least, you know, maybe get a rebound or two. My point is, when I started getting into basketball and playing it, that's when I really started getting interested in, like, 
the intricacies of the game and strategy and like the different types of positions that are on the court and all of that. And before actually playing the sport, like actually getting in that world, yeah. it was just it was just a, a game, just a sport. So I think it's very much the same with with anything, really. If something seems abstract or or confusing right. or even just like not or uninteresting. Yeah. Actually trying that thing out, whether you like doing it or not, whether you're good at it or not, will give yeah. you a, a greater appreciation for it. For so. sure. And I, I, you know, I just think people, more people should. I want more people to know about these, all these things behind music and, and be able to experience music, you know, up front and center, because it's such a great thing that I, if you don't know about it and you don't, you don't have that much interest in it, I think you're missing out. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a little biased, but I think so too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, uh, but that being said, everyone has their, their thing. Yeah. Music is our thing, so we just want to spread it naturally. Exactly, which is why we have uh, YouTube channels and things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, Nari, this is awesome. Thank yeah, you this again is cool. for, this is uh, a lot of fun. for making time for, uh, for this and, and for me. Um, before we go, you know, in case someone has not yet come across your, uh, your material, where can people learn more about you? Uh, just type in my name, Nari Soul, into YouTube or Instagram. That's where I'm active the most. Fantastic. And a lot of ditties. All right. Well, everyone look out for the ditties. And Nari, thank you again for uh, Thanks, Jeff. doing this.